Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The man accused of shooting 10 people on a New York City subway train had his first appearance in court today. He was denied bail and his lawyers requested that he undergo a psychiatric evaluation. Video footage now released of the police shooting in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And protests ensue outside the police department. A Texas death row inmate wants clergy to pray out loud and lay hands on him while he is executed. And the Supreme Court said last month that his request should be granted. But the Texas Criminal Justice Department won't change its rules. Six U.S. lawmakers paid a surprise visit to Taiwan. What's expected as they plan to meet with the Taiwanese president? And how is Beijing responding? And it's day 50 of the Russia-Ukraine war. And there's a mystery in the Black Sea. How did a major Russian warship sink? A U.S. federal judge has ordered that defendant Frank James remain in custody. James was charged with committing a terrorist or violent attack against a mass transportation system. And if convicted, he could face life in prison. NTD's Jason Perry was at the Brooklyn Federal Court where the defendant was arraigned today. Some of the following footage may be disturbing to some viewers. The defendant, Frank James, didn't say much during his arraignment. James was represented by two public defenders, and they requested that he undergo a psychiatric evaluation. The judge denied bail for James. He will be detained indefinitely while awaiting a federal trial. Assistant U.S. Attorney Sarah Winnick said in court that the subway shooting interrupted the morning commute in a way the city hasn't seen in more than 20 years. James was arrested on Wednesday in Lower Manhattan, ending a 30-hour manhunt. Police said 10 people were shot, five of them hospitalized in critical but stable condition, and 13 others were injured in the stampede of passengers escaping the subway station. All were expected to survive. James is currently facing a maximum sentence of life in prison. But if any of the victims die, he could face the death penalty. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. In Michigan, protesters gathered outside the Grand Rapids Police Department yesterday. They're calling for justice after the fatal police shooting of Patrick Leoya. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Several hundred protesters shouted Patrick's name and held Black Lives Matter signs while demanding to know the name of the officer involved in the shooting. The protest came just after police released videos of the traffic stop and subsequent struggle that ended with 26-year-old Patrick Leoya, a native of the Congo, being shot and killed after a struggle over a stun gun. The incident occurred on April 4 in Grand Rapids. The video shows Leoya getting out of the vehicle after being pulled over. Stay in the car. Get in the car. Dude, I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? Do you have a license? I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? Do you have a driver's license? Do you speak English? Yes. After the officer explains the plane doesn't belong on the car, he again asks Leoya to see his license. Leoya says yes opens his car door, asks his passenger something, but then closes it and starts walking away. No, 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 stop, stop. At which point, a struggle ensues. A brief chase ends with the two wrestling on a neighboring lawn. 
The officer orders Leoya to let go of his taser. Let go of the taser. The taser can then be heard going off. The struggle ends with the officer on top of Leoya shooting him in the head. The officer's body cam turned off during the conflict, but it was captured by Leoya's passenger. My view of the video, the taser was deployed twice. The taser did not make contact. State police are investigating the matter while the officer, who Winstrom didn't identify, is on paid leave. Dave Martin, NTD News. The Biden administration agreed to amend some park police and secret service policies. That's part of a partial settlement reached with Black Lives Matter protesters who were removed from an area near the White House in 2020. The U.S. Park Police and the Secret Service agreed to update and clarify their policies governing demonstrations and to implement the policy changes within 30 days. The Justice Department said the changes are to settle claims in four civil lawsuits brought by demonstrators. They say their rights were violated in Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C. in June 2020. The lawsuits alleged that federal agencies used unreasonable force to enable a photo op of former President Donald Trump outside a historic church near the White House. A U.S. government watchdog rejected that claim and said police dispersed protesters as part of a plan made earlier in the day for a contractor to install temporary fencing. The park police said protesters became violent and officers found caches of makeshift weapons in the area. Policy changes within law enforcement include more specific requirements for visible identification of officers, limits on the use of non-lethal force, and procedures to facilitate safe crowd dispersal. The U.S. government did not admit any wrongdoing as part of the settlement. A Texas death row inmate has received a new execution date. This comes after the Supreme Court granted him a reprieve due to his request for clergy to pray out loud and touch him during the execution. But the Texas criminal system has yet to grant his request. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice is an independent state agency and therefore makes its own rules on whether a death row prisoner can have clergy present during the execution. Seth Kretzky is the attorney who represents the Texas death row inmate who wants clergy praying out loud and laying hands on him while he is executed. He told NTD in a previous interview that the prison warden writes the protocols. Well, I'm sure they are governed by state law, but I think the state law just gives them the power to write the protocols. Uh, it's not like the legislature votes on what you're allowed to do or not do. Uh, the warden enters the protocols and changes them from time to time, and that's what governs at execution. So last month, when the Supreme Court said states must honor inmates' requests to have a pastor present to pray aloud and touch them during an execution, it didn't order Texas to do that. The court granted death row inmate John Ramirez an extension on his execution date so that a lower court would have time to review his case. Nonetheless, Kretzky, who represents Ramirez, told the Associated Press that he was ecstatic about the ruling and expected Texas to change its protocols. Ramirez's execution has now been set for October 5th, but the rules haven't changed. The department maintains that it will not update its rules and said it will decide on a case-by-case -case basis if there is a substantial security risk that the prisoner will harm the clergy. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Democratic Party officials approved a plan Wednesday that could shake up the presidential primary calendar. The big unknown is which states will get to hold their primaries first in 2024.
The new plan does away with the current traditional set of early states, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. The updated process would prioritize more racially diverse battleground states that hold primaries, not caucuses. States would apply for early primaries and party officials would pick up to five that would go before Super Tuesday. Those four traditional early states can apply to keep their places. However, Iowa's spot would be especially threatened, in part because the largely white state is no longer a battleground. Also, it's required by state law to hold caucuses. State parties must submit applications by June 3rd. The Rules Committee will decide in July, and final approval is in August or September. The Republican National Committee, or RNC, has voted unanimously to withdraw from the Commission on Presidential Debates. The Commission, which governs all general election debates, is being accused by the RNC of no longer being fair and impartial. In a statement, RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said the Commission is biased and has refused to enact common-sense reforms to help ensure fair debates. Those reforms include hosting debates before voting begins and selecting moderators who've never worked for the candidates they're moderating. This vote comes months after the GOP threatened to boycott televised debates unless the Commission adopts major reforms. At that time, the RNC accused it of part partisanship and significant errors in the 2020 presidential debates. It's not yet clear what exactly the RNC's move will mean for the 2024 presidential debates. A delegation of U.S. lawmakers has arrived in Taiwan, taking the world by surprise. The, the visit defies threats by Beijing and comes amid growing concerns about a possible Chinese invasion of the self-governing island. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Six U.S. lawmakers arrived in Taiwan Thursday night on a previously unannounced trip. Leading the bipartisan delegation are Senator Bob Menendez, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. They're meeting on Friday with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and the island's defense minister. China is looking at the Western response to the world unfolding in Ukraine, and it plans to consume its neighbor Taiwan in the same fashion. The surprise visit comes as lawmakers are increasingly wary of a possible invasion by Beijing into the democratically ruled island, which the Chinese Communist Party claims as its own. And just last month, to assure Taipei of U.S. support, President Biden sent a delegation of former defense officials to visit the island. It was amid heightened concerns of Beijing's next steps following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A spokesperson for the Taiwanese government said the latest visit is again a demonstration of the U.S.'s rock-solid support to Taiwan. And Senator Graham tweeted after landing that he's honored to visit what he calls a beacon of freedom in a troubled region. Meanwhile, the visit is drawing a furious response from Beijing, which on Thursday threatened that it would take forceful measures to defend Chinese territorial integrity. But such claims are challenged by the U.S. Treasury Secretary, who is warning Beijing over its close ties with Russia. China cannot expect the global community to respect its appeals to the principles of sovereignty and territorial integrity in the future if it does not respect these principles now when it counts. 
And after wrapping up their two-day trip to Taiwan, the lawmakers will then head to Japan for top-level talks on China. Reporting Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Inflation is getting higher and President Biden's poll ratings are getting lower. And today, Biden sought to reassure the American people that his administration is taking steps to lower costs for Americans. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more on Biden's plan. $90 billion in research and development, STEM education, manufacturing, all those elements of the supply chain that need, we need to produce end products right here in America. That's the crux of his plan to try to ease this red-hot inflation, now at a 40-year high. Facing mounting pressure to get these soaring prices under control, the Biden administration is pinning his hopes on Congress to pass a new law that will invest in U.S. manufacturing, innovation, and technology. This bipartisan bill making its way through Congress would invest billions into colleges, along with the CHIPS Act to expand the U.S. capacity to produce computer chips. The idea is that by manufacturing more at home, the U.S. won't have to rely so heavily on foreign supply chains. Other countries are racing ahead, but we can't afford to wait. So Congress, get this bipartisan bill to my desk. And Congress is on track to come to conference on this bill so that they can finalize a version that can gain enough bipartisan support to pass through Congress and send to Biden's desk. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A major Russian warship sank earlier today, but the mystery is how. Moscow says there was a fire on board and ammunition blew up, but Ukraine says it struck the ship with missiles. We hear more from NTD's Chenny Wu. The Russian military sustained a major blow on Thursday when the flagship of the country's Black Sea fleet sank. According to a Pentagon official, the warship was 60 to 65 nautical miles south of Odessa when a fire ignited, and the vessel was still battling flames hours later while heading east. The Russian military says the crew of 500 evacuated, and the damaged Moskva missile cruiser sank when it was being towed to port. However, Ukrainian officials say the vessel was hit by Ukrainian missiles late Wednesday off the country's Black Sea port of Odessa. Hi, everyone. I hope you guys U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that the U.S. cannot verify whether or not the ship was actually hit by a missile, but that either way, it's a big blow to Russia. They've had to kind of choose between two stories. One story is that it was just incompetence, and the other was that they came under attack, and neither is a particularly good outcome for them. The ship was part of the fleet that's blockading Mariupol in southern Ukraine. It can carry 16 long-range cruise missiles, and its removal from combat greatly reduces Russia's firepower in the Black Sea. Also on Thursday, Russian authorities accused Ukraine of sending two low-flying military helicopters across the border and firing on residential buildings in a village around seven miles from the frontier. Russian authorities say seven people, including a toddler, were wounded. NTD cannot independently verify these claims. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Up next, two inmates in an all-female prison in New Jersey are pregnant by a trans inmate, according to reports. State allows prisoners to self-identify their gender. And in a drastic change, New York is expanding its gifted and talented program for school kids. That's after the previous mayor arranged to have it abolished. That and more on NTD News.
Innovation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. Our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. You might not expect that women serving time in an all-female prison would become pregnant by other inmates. But the New Jersey Department of Corrections confirms that two female inmates are pregnant and suggests that a transgender inmate is responsible. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. The case of the two pregnant inmates took place in the state's only female prison. And since 2021, New Jersey allows prisoners to be housed according to their preferred gender identity meaning no surgery is needed. Being that anyone can gender self-ID, it creates these kind of situations. This is what's going to happen in mass now. Amy is the founder of Woman to Woman, an advocacy group for incarcerated women. She explains why gender self-ID can have bad outcomes in prisons. The predators in the men's prison, the ones that create this high rate of rape and assault in the men's institution, they can transfer too. They, you, they can use the gender self-ID laws just as anyone else can. Uh, they can hide under the trans umbrella, transfer there, and then they have a whole new prison full of people to victimize. But there are also trans women who would feel out of place in a man's prison. Amy thinks there's a solution to that. People with a history of uh, sex crimes, um, people with histories of violence against women, should be exempt from the opportunity to transfer. New Jersey's Department of Correction told me they don't know yet how to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. That's because the investigation is still ongoing. But they said measures are being taken to ensure the health and safety of all inmates. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. Kentucky athletes in sixth grade through college must now compete based on their sex assigned at birth. Lawmakers on Wednesday overrode the governor's veto of the measure, making it law. Republicans say this reflects concerns from parents and prevents girls from having to unfairly compete against biological males. In vetoing the bill last week, Democrat Governor Andy Beshear argued that barring transgender athletes from girls' sports could be unconstitutional. He said this is because it discriminates against transgender people. He also argued proponents failed to present a single instance in Kentucky of a transgender athlete gaining a competitive advantage. But state Republicans, who overrode the governor with their majority, say the bill is about thinking ahead to protect female athletes. In a major change in direction, New York City is now expanding its gifted and talented program for school kids. The program was supposed to be abolished under a decision made by previous mayor Bill de Blasio. But the first time there would be a gifted and talented program in every school district in New York City. Critics of the gifted and talented program, including the former mayor, say that minority kids are not well represented in the program. Supporters of the program have been saying it should be expanded instead of abolished so more kids have access to it. The mayor says that the new plan is about expanding equity and that students should now have easier access with the latest extension of the program. 
The program offers accelerated instruction to all eligible students. This year, New York is putting the state's electric vehicle programs and an EV test track front and center at the International Auto Show. NTD's Evelyn Lee has more about the state's electrification plans. It's New York's ambition to electrify all public bus fleets and vehicles, and it looks like owning one of these will become easier in the future as well. New York's governor spoke at the New York International Auto Show Wednesday and encouraged visitors to see how electric vehicles are becoming integral in New York's economy. With leaning hard into electric vehicles, and that is why by the year 2035, 100% of new vehicles sold in the state of New York will be zero emissions. Although New York saw a 50% increase in EV adoption last year, only roughly 1% of vehicles registered there are electric. But Lenny Singh, the senior vice president of customer energy solutions at Con Edison, says that growth will accelerate over time. And they're getting ready. So building out the infrastructure to get ready for customers to relieve range anxiety. As people um, you know, get those EVs, they want to be able to charge and go the distance they're used to without having to stop for a charger. So we're ready to facilitate that. Con Edison offers to cover up to 100% of the costs of installing new chargers. But with electrification of transportation and heating, he's expecting a winter peak for demand. So we have uh, plans to build out the grid in anticipation of that over the next two decades and continue to invest. In terms of EV charging, our clean energy commitment really talks about 400,000 chargers by 2035. New York just enacted a plan to electrify all school buses by 2035 as part of the roadmap to electrify the state. In a $600 million green transmission project, the New York Power Authority wants to fund rebuilding and modernizing the state's electrical grid. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. Oscar-winning actor Cuba Gooding Jr. pleaded guilty Wednesday to forcibly kissing a waitress at a New York nightclub in 2018. The terms of the agreement will allow Gooding to avoid jail time. The admissions were part of a plea deal that came nearly three years after Gooding was arrested. The case saw several delays as his lawyers sought to dismiss or reduce the charges. The actor also publicly apologized for the first time to two other women who accused him of similar behavior in separate encounters. Gooding is also fighting allegations of raping a woman in New York City in 2013. He had previously pleaded not guilty to six misdemeanor counts and denied all allegations of wrongdoing. A federal judge on Thursday sentenced political activist and Democratic donor Ed Buck to 30 years in prison and the deaths of Jamel Moore and Timothy Dean. Even after the two men were found dead in his California apartment, Buck did not stop injecting other gay men with methamphetamine. He personally injected them with the drug in exchange for sex. Another man, Dane Brown, was repeatedly injected by Buck but survived. His account of what happened led to Buck's arrest in 2019. Buck appeared in U.S. District Court in Los Angeles for providing fatal doses of drugs, operating a drug den, and enticing men to travel pr for prostitution. He was convicted on nine felony counts last summer. Buck told the judge on Thursday that he had loved the man and said he wished he could have turned back time and insisted that he was not responsible. Now on to inflation. For the first time ever, Amazon is placing a 5% fuel and inflation surcharge on sellers. Don't be surprised if the products you buy on Amazon get more expensive. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. 
For the first time ever, Amazon is making sellers pay a 5% fuel and inflation surcharge. We may have to raise prices to offset this 5%, no question. Phil Mazielo is the founder of Uplift Flori and an Amazon seller who helps other sellers with their brands. Mazielo says this will be tough for sellers to swallow. You've already been hit with packaging increases. You've already been hit with fuel surcharges coming the other way, product getting delivered into you. Right, your 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 product costs, your raw material costs have all gone up. So it's almost like getting double charged. The surcharge only applies to U.S. sellers who use fulfillment by Amazon, a service that handles deliveries for sellers, and many do. One estimate puts it at 73 percent. There's only so far they can go to try and either absorb the cost or find other ways to reduce the expense of delivery. Steve Anderson is the author of the Bezos Letters. Anderson says over 50% of Amazon's products were sold by third-party sellers, so they know there will be an impact. Across the board, probably looking at slight price increases, heavier things, more dense objects, would be the ones that I would suspect are going to be have the the quickest price increases. Fernando Campos is the co-founder of Marketplace Ops and an expert Amazon seller. Campos says how big the price increases will be depends on the product category. Amazon did kind of hint at this could be temporary. It's just kind of depending on you know, fuel going back to more of a normal state. The average gas price is currently $4.07, and the U.S. is seeing an annual inflation rate of 8.5%, the highest since 1981. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And as Easter approaches, global egg prices are going up. That's because of severe outbreaks of the bird flu in the U.S. and France, as well as shipping disruptions caused by the war in Ukraine. Lisa Bernard has more. Severe outbreaks of bird flu in the United States and France are tightening global egg supplies and raising prices, leaving some consumers scrambling to find the household staple as Easter weekend approaches. Bird flu has wiped out more than 19 million egg-laying chickens on commercial U.S. farms this year in the worst outbreak since 2015, according to Reuters' calculations of federal and state data. France, too, is suffering its worst outbreak ever in which about 8 percent of egg-laying hens have been culled. Higher prices are particularly painful around the Easter and Passover holidays when demand jumps as families use eggs to bake and dye Easter eggs. Prices are expected to stay elevated, egg producers said, as it will take months to resume operations on infected farms. Iowa, the top U.S. egg-producing state, has suffered badly, with an executive at the second-largest egg producer there telling Reuters the whole industry is in a general panic. Wholesale prices for large eggs in the U.S. Midwest are up nearly 200 percent from a year earlier, according to one data firm. As a result... Consumers could see higher prices for food products made with eggs, such as mayonnaise. In addition to bird flu, the war in Ukraine is disrupting supply chains for egg buyers in the Middle East who rely on imports from Ukraine, now the EU's top egg producer. Many Middle Eastern importers are now turning to other European countries like Turkey as a potential source for eggs. Coming up, the Los Angeles sheriff says crime and unsafe conditions are increasing on the city's public transit system. The sheriff is threatening to pull his deputies from patrolling unless the Metro board makes changes. California's governor announces millions in funding for a housing project that turns hotels into permanent housing for homeless people. 
Previous state reports have called the effectiveness of the program into question. On the West Coast, the Los Angeles Sheriff blames so-called woke city leaders for the unsafe conditions on the city's public transit. As a consequence, he said he will pull his department's contract to patrol parts of the public transit lines. NTD Cynthia Kai reports on what the sheriff is saying. Los Angeles Sheriff Alex Villanueva said he sent a letter to the Metropolitan Transportation Authority Board, or MTA asking to restore full public safety control to the department by July 1st. Otherwise, he would remove 325 of his deputies currently patrolling public safety and redeploy them elsewhere. The board has been taking away all the discretionary authority of every, every peace officer on the train system. They're trying to transfer it to private security into this ambassador program because they do not want to enforce the rule of law. I don't know if it's they just caught up in this woke nonsense so they thought that maybe it's all about uh, feel good. Villanueva said the sheriff's department had full control of patrolling the MTA lines in 2017 until that contract expired. The MTA then created a three-agency patrol system. The current contract splits patrolling responsibilities between the Sheriff's Department, Long Beach Police Department, and Los Angeles Police Department. It should be noted that our department has a Metrolink contract, and that is 538 miles of track. It covers six counties. You do not see this on the Metrolink. You only see it on the MTA system. Villanueva says MTA's current contract limits law enforcement officers' ability to do their jobs. They've told all of the operators or the law enforcement that if someone needs to be uh, ejected from the train, it is better to actually escort the paying passengers, remove them from the train and get another train for them than to address the problematic person on the train itself. I mean, this is just bizarre. So the only people that have a right to stay on the train are the ones that are homeless, unruly, drunk, urinating, defecating. They're the ones that cannot be touched. According to the Sheriff's Department, the growing homeless population has led to fatalities on MTA trains and in the stations. The elevators and all the transit system become basically vertical mobile porta potties. That's what they are because that's what the, the, uh, the homeless uh, population is using them for. The sheriff's comments come two weeks after personally writing the metro lines to investigate their condition. According to the department's data, robberies and aggravated assaults on the MTA have been increasing since 2019. But during the summer 2020 riots over the death of George Floyd, MTA cut back on the use of law enforcement on the train lines to reduce the appearance of armed responses on everyday transit systems. NTD reached out to MTA for a comment. Cynthia Kai, NTD News, California. Governor Gavin Newsom announced $70 million for six new home key projects throughout California. It's expected to provide 232 units for people experiencing or at risk of homelessness, but previous reports call the project's effectiveness into question. 
The governor's office announced on Wednesday that the awards are for acquiring hotels and motels for the cities of Berkeley, Arcata, County of Santa Barbara, and Los Angeles, as well as the Yurok Indian Housing Authority. Newsom stated, We've swiftly created safer places to live for thousands of unhoused individuals throughout the last two years, and today's awards continue that progress. But a February report from the state's legislative analyst office criticized Project Home Key and its sister initiative, Project Room Key. Occupancy averaged at 70% for the state. Areas hit most hard with homelessness, like Los Angeles, saw 65% occupancy. According to the governor's office, additional awards are to be announced in the coming weeks. Imports are growing strong at the Port of Los Angeles. The director reported the third busiest month ever at one of the United States' largest seaports. Let's take a look at what the ships are bringing in. Cargo volumes at the Port of Los Angeles broke another record in March. Record-breaking numbers have come in every month so far in 2022. We started off year 2022 with three consecutive record months and our best first quarter ever, eclipsing the previous record set just last year by three and a half percent. The total number of containers for the first three months of this year sits at 2.7 million containers. Overall volume reached more than 958,000 20-foot equivalent units, just edging out the record we set last March. And this turns out to be the third best month overall in the port's history, behind only 1 million TEUs that we did last May and 980,000 TEUs in October of 2020. Soroka said imports remain strong as retailers continue to replenish inventories and satisfy high demand from American consumers. Despite imports being up, year-on-year -year exports were down. The port processed just under 12,000 containers for Asia-bound exports, down 9% from last year. Exports have now declined 37 of the last 41 months here in Los Angeles. With import activity strong and exports waning, empties are being processed at greater levels than ever back to Asia. Soroka called for a national export policy and is working with U.S. agriculture groups and the manufacturing community to improve exports. Further, last December, the port started a program to penalize ocean carriers with a fee of $100 per empty container. The program has not yet started, but it's set to begin at the end of April. A similar fee can be enacted for empty containers idling at the port. Both COOs, the chief operating officers, have told me directly they're more than happy to jump into the fray, assist their day-to-day -day colleagues, and see whatever we can do to move the needle. But as a last-ditch effort, if that fee is necessary to get people motivated, we may just have to use it. But slowdowns at the dual Los Angeles-Long Beach ports are leading shippers to consider other delivery destinations. Alan Murphy, CEO of Sea Intelligence, says there is a 60% increase in the number of Asia-North America East Coast train lines in the coming months. Tiger Woods, fresh off his first competition in 17 months, has committed to play the J.P. McManus Pro-Am in Ireland on July 4th and 5th. Woods said after the Masters Sunday, he would also compete at the British Open in Scotland, which starts the week after. The 15-time major champion had previously indicated he would play only the big events. But he's still undecided about next month's PGA Championship and the U.S. Open in June. 
Woods finished 47th in the Masters last weekend, his first following a car accident that nearly cost him his leg. Although he started strong in making the cut, he finished with back-to-back -back 78s, his worst rounds ever at Augusta National. Billionaire Elon Musk has offered to buy Twitter for about $41 billion in cash. He says the social media company, which he's often criticized, needs to go private to see effective changes. Musk rejected an offer to join Twitter's board earlier this week after disclosing his stake in the company. Analysts say that signaled his intention to take over the firm, since a board seat would have limited his stake to just under 15 percent. Musk's offer price was $54.20 per share, which was disclosed in a regulatory filing today. The total deal value was cu calculated based on about 760 million shares outstanding, according to Refinitiv data. Musk said in a letter to Twitter chairman Brett Taylor that this was his best and final offer. If not accepted, he would need to reconsider his position as a shareholder, he wrote. Twitter did not respond to a request for comment. Up next, a former detainee at a Chinese labor camp in Xinjiang shares his experience at, a, at an event in Washington, D.C. He's a Christian originally from Kyrgyzstan. And the U.K. will start sending illegal migrants to Rwanda in a new scheme designed to tackle the small boat crisis in the English Channel. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Former detainee at a Chinese labor camp in the Xinjiang region describes what he went through. He shared his experience at an event hosted by the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation on Wednesday. Ovalbek Tordikun is a Christian originally from Kyrgyzstan, a Central Asian country bordering China's Xinjiang region. He says he was arrested in front of his family at his home in Xinjiang in 2018. Authorities showed up at 7 in the morning and took him away first to a hospital for health checkups, and then to a labor camp. You have to accept uh, whatever crime they assign to you, and you need to be accept and be happy and just live there peacefully, quietly. And they did a, a court process for me as well. And it, it was only about three minutes. Tordikun says authorities at the labor camp didn't tell him how long they would keep him there. They do not say anything that how long you're going to be kept in that uh, place, and they just say that the Chinese party, the Communist Party, is, uh, is graceful, it's a good country, and you're just going to stay here, and they will never say how long I'm going to be here. Tordikun spent 10 months in the labor camp with more than 20 other inmates, living under harsh conditions. After his release, he fled with his family to Kyrgyzstan. 
Republican Congressman Chris Smith, who also spoke at the event, condemned the Chinese Communist regime's treatment of ethnic and religious minorities in Xinjiang. You know, at a time when we have uh, a genocide occurring in Ukraine uh, by Vladimir Putin, uh, we also have a genocide of horrific proportions occurring uh, in the People's Republic of China by Xi Jinping. It is all his genocide. Uh, he ordered it. He said, show no mercy. The Chinese regime has been mass-detaining Uyghurs and other minorities in Xinjiang since at least 2017, accusing them of extremism. The U.S. State Department estimates that over one million have been put into detention camps. Former detainees report forced labor, systemic abuse, and forced sterilization. Migrants who illegally cross the channel in small boats to the U.K. will be flown to Rwanda to process their asylum claims. Boris Johnson announced the plans, which he says would break the smugglers' business model and deter people from making the crossing. He also said that asylum seekers will no longer be housed in hotels, but in Greek-style accommodation centers. Here's NTD's Jane Werrell with more. Under new government plans, migrants who cross the channel to the UK in small boats will be flown 4,000 miles away to Rwanda in East Africa. Boris Johnson says his new border policy would deter illegal crossings and break the smugglers' business model. If you risk other people's lives in the channel, you risk spending your own life in prison. People who do make it to the UK will be taken not to hotels at vast public expense, rather they will be housed in accommodation centres like those in Greece, with the first of these to open shortly. He's described this as a humane move, but acknowledged that he does expect to be challenged in the courts. Asked about Rwanda's human rights record, he insisted that it's a very different country from what it was, although human rights organisations have disagreed. The Rwandan government is expected to receive £120 million as part of the partnership. The Home Secretary on a visit to Rwanda said illegal migrants could relocate and rebuild their lives in Rwanda. And those who are resettled will be given the support, including up to five years of training with the help of integration, accommodation, healthcare, so that they can resettle and thrive. This agreement fully complies with all international and national law. So far this year, it's estimated that more than 5,000 migrants have crossed the channel illegally including 600 who arrived on Wednesday. Boris Johnson says this number will continue to grow. He's faced backlash for his plans, with some organisations calling them inhumane. There are concerns over the ethics and the efficacy of the scheme. The Israelis did this with the, with the Rwandans. The Australians did it with neighbouring nation-states, Papua New Guinea. And the results of both those attempts were actually to not stop people making dangerous journeys, to just cause them significant harm and distress. And a Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, says it's just a distraction from the Prime Minister being fined over Downing Street parties. The true aim of this is just to distract from the law-breaking of the Prime Minister. Um, and that's why I say... It shows that he's got no answers, he's got no... This is a very difficult situation and one that the Prime Minister is likely to be focusing on more, especially as he'll maybe be thinking that this is an issue that will resonate with voters ahead of those local elections in May. Jane Werrell, NGD News, London. As the war in Ukraine entered its 50th day, the power dynamic between Russia and Europe is worrying some economists. 
They question what would happen if Russia were to cut its energy exports to the EU. NTD's France correspondent David Vives spoke with an economist who says the balance of power with Russia is not in Europe's favor. Can Europe make it without the Russian energy supply? Germany's leading economic institute said on Wednesday the country would face a sharp recession if gas supplies from Russia are suddenly cut off. The imminent interruption of natural gas and oil supplies from Russia to the European Union naturally represents a particular risk for this economic forecast. Russian energy is embedded in Germany's way of life, with half of its gas and a third of its oil supplied by Moscow. According to Swiss economist Guy de la Fortelle, this has been taken into account by Russian President Putin. Putin Putin has been preparing for this war. When we had the first pressures at the end of last summer on the gas and electricity market in Europe, he did not increase his gas levels on purpose to bring us to our knees. So he is ready. Even facing economic sanctions, Moscow has foreign exchange reserves, which amount to $630 billion. While some of these foreign currency reserves are blocked in some countries, gold reserves are stored in the vaults of the Russian central bank. That's why De La Fortelle says the balance of power is not on Europe's side. If tomorrow Putin cuts off the gas, we wouldn't last two years. We'd last maybe two weeks, more like two days. So the balance of power, economic and financial, is in fact totally unfavorable. Moreover, he says there's no short-term solutions to moving energy reliance onto other countries. He says it would take years for Europe to change its suppliers. That is the great interest of the United States, except that for the moment there are no gas ports in Europe. So we'll have to build them. These things take, I don't know, five, seven years. So we are not at all ready to receive these shale gases. He says the EU can't afford to put economic pressure on Russia. On the other hand, if you look at Russia, they have already been building pipelines for three or four years to link up with China. So you have things that are being prepared in Russia that are absolutely not being prepared in Europe. Once again, Europe is being sacrificed over the opposition to Russia. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Finland says it will make a decision within weeks about whether to apply to join the U.S.-led NATO alliance. Sweden is contemplating a similar move. It underlines a shift in security perspectives following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Meanwhile, the Kremlin has again warned the Nordic countries not to join NATO. We hear more from NTD's Trevor Piper. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is pushing Nordic countries Finland and Sweden to consider applying for NATO membership thereby abandoning a belief held for decades that peace was best kept by not publicly choosing sides. On Wednesday, Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin said Finland would soon make a decision about whether to apply to join the 30-member military alliance. There are different perspectives uh, to apply uh, NATO membership or not to apply, and we have to analyze all of this very carefully. Marin said she hopes Sweden and Finland will take similar security choices in the future along a similar timetable. We have always been saying that part of our current policy is the so-called NATO option, the possibility of joining NATO one day and also the appreciation that NATO keeps its open-door policy, which is important for us. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has profoundly changed Finland's security environment, according to a Finnish government white paper issued on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Russia reiterated its warning to both countries against joining NATO. 
And the deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council said there could be no more talk of a nuclear-free Baltic. Lithuanian Prime Minister Ingrida Simonita, seen here visiting Ukraine earlier this week, said on Thursday this Russian threat was nothing new. The country's defense minister noted that Moscow deployed nuclear weapons to Russian enclave Kaliningrad, bordered by Poland and Lithuania, long before the war in Ukraine. Views among Finland's public about whether or not to join NATO are mixed. I think Finland should be self-sufficient, so I think we can manage on our own. Yeah, that's my opinion on that, on that one. Yeah. However, recent polls show growing support towards the move, as some Finns see membership as a way of deterring a potential Russian invasion. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Russia has shown their two faces, so I think we should join NATO. NATO membership would increase Finland's defence budget by up to 1.5 per cent. Finland has not hinted at a definite timetable about the decision, but has said the decision will be reached within weeks, not months. Trevor Piper, NTD News. Coming up, Vienna's traditional Easter markets have returned after being cancelled for two years due to the pandemic. The decorated eggs are once again the stars of the show. Vienna's Christmas markets are famous all across Europe, but have you heard of their spring version? For the first time since the start of the pandemic, the Easter market of Vienna is back. Let's take a look. They come in a single shape, but all sizes. Easter eggs are the star of the show of the spring markets in Vienna. Some are hand-painted, others come with ornaments. In the historical center of Vienna, visitors do their Easter shopping at the 31st edition of the Old Viennese Easter Market. It's located on the Freyung, an old square well known for its traditional markets. There are eggs in all sizes, from chicken to goose, or even ostrich eggs. Most of the eggs on display come from Austria, but some come also from neighboring countries, such as the Czech Republic or Poland, which also have long-established Easter egg traditions. And over at the Schönbrunn Palace, Visitors are greeted by giant eggs and about 70 stands. This is gar nicht. It is not in the whole of Austria, but mainly in the east. Just before Easter, we like to decorate Easter bouquets. So we have these willow catkin branches and maybe other branches too. And we hang the Easter eggs on them. We have a tradition of doing it just before Easter weekend. The Viennese haven't had their Easter markets since 2019. The last two markets were canceled due to the pandemic. The Easter markets usually open two weeks before Easter and are enjoyed by both tourists and locals. The Schönbrunn's and Old Viennese Easter Market on Freyung both run until April 18th. A fairy tale unseen unfolds near the Belgian capital of Brussels. There are clumps of beautiful bluebells, carpet and enchanted forest. Let's take a look. In Belgium's Holly Forest, blooming purple bluebells created a sea of fantasy, attracting groups of admirers early at dawn. Yeah, we did come early, actually. We uh, woke up around five, just to make sure to have the best of uh, sun, uh, sunrise, and uh, that's why we're here early, exactly. The sun shines on the blossoms through the mist and foliage of the beech trees. 
photographers recorded this ethereal view, calling it a comfort in tough times. It is an outstanding and magical place because whenever we come, there is an amazing atmosphere. The sunrise was truly beautiful this morning, and we know this offers the opportunity to take great photos and decorate our house. We have all this blue and all these colors. With the transition between the hyacinths and the small wood anemones, that will soon go away. If we have a morning fog or shafts of light, it is just wonderful. It's a fairytale forest. <laughs> Every April, visitors from all over the world flock to admire the magical scene. These blossoms will stay for seven to ten days. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.